Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm speaking with C.W. Gortner about his latest novel, The American Adventurous. Even nowadays, when we are so much more aware than our ancestors were of the far-reaching influence of women on society, the wives and mothers of famous men are too often relegated to footnotes. We forget, if we ever knew, that they had personalities and ambitions and abilities of their own, some of which may even have contributed to the development of those same famous men. C.W. Gortner has made a career out of bringing such women back into the spotlight, and his latest subject is Jenny Jerome, the mother of Winston Churchill. We meet her at the age of 12. 1866. Miss Jerome, how many times must I tell you? It is unacceptable for you to abandon your desk in the middle of a lesson. Return to your seat at once. Miss Green's voice cracked across the classroom. I stood on tiptoes at the window, straining to see past the snowfall. There was no clock inside the room, but I innately sensed the passage of time, of which there was entirely too much at school. Papa was late. Miss Jerome, must I repeat myself? To your seat, now. Turning around, I found her glaring at me. Her flat bosom puffed out against her black bodice with its ruffle of tarnished lace. My father is coming to fetch me, I said, causing my sister Clarita to gape in disbelief. Mr. Jerome is not here yet, is he? Miss Green replied. Honestly, the nerve. You flout every civilized norm. I didn't move, keeping my eyes on her. I had found it was an effective trick. If I stared long enough without fear, she wouldn't know what to do. Jenny! Miss Clarita, just do as Miss Green says. And now, please join me in welcoming C.W. Gortner. Hi, Christopher. Thanks for agreeing to talk with me today. Hi. Thanks for having me. Before we start, I have to admit that as a cat person, I was caught by a statement in your acknowledgments. Do you really have a cat named Mouse? Where does the name come from? Mouse is uh, he was a, he's a Russian blue that was born in our garden, feral. And he just sort of adopted us. And... Because he's got that sort of 
silvery gray color. We kept thinking he looked like a mouse. So we named him Mouse, but I wanted to do it like a German mouse, M-A-U-S. So that's where the name comes from. It was sort of um, organic. He's really pretty. He's like fully gray with silvery paws. So he was very small when we found him, and he looked like a little mouse. Now he's huge. It's funny how they do that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Most of my cats have shown up in my garden. You've written many previous novels. I counted 11 on your website, uh, most of them about famous women. Uh, listeners who would like to hear Jennifer Yermeva's interview with you about the Romanov em- Empress can search our site for that link. We also did a written interview on my blog about your previous novel, The First Actress, about Sarah Bernhardt. Both of these overlap a bit in terms of chronology with your newest book. Could you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. Um, so <clears throat> with Romanoff Empress, I mean, they all take place in, you know, in the era of the 19th century crossing into the 20th century, so sort of the turn of the century. So Romanoff Empress, um, you know, is about... Nicholas II, sorry, Nicholas II's mother. And I'd always wanted to write a book about the Romanovs, but I felt like they had been really well covered um, in fiction. And so it was a struggle to find, or a challenge for me to find a character that hadn't been depicted before. And when I was researching and it came across his mother, I thought, God, this would be a fascinating story. She actually wasn't Russian by birth. She was Danish. She married into the family. She sort of saw it all go down and survived it. So that's how that book kind of came into being. And then the uh, first actress was about Sarah Bernhardt. It takes place um, in sort of a similar in, in sort of a similar era. I mean, it's actually interesting. At one point, um, my character from the Romanoff Empress, Minnie, and her husband, the Tsar, visited France and met Sarah Bernhardt. So there, it's still the same era. I wanted to write about um, Sarah Bernhardt for a really long time because I really want, loved the intersection in that era between the theater and the era of the courtesans, which was a brief era in Paris, but a very um, sort of exciting one to explore when a lot of women were doing courtesan work in order to survive. And Sarah Bernhardt came out of that tradition. So that's how those two books came into being. And then, you know, now the one with Jenny. It wasn't like I deliberately said, now I'm going to move into the 19th century and write about women in the 19th century. It's just sort of my interests historically are promiscuous. And I just sort of moved into that era um, attracted to character. Usually what always works for me in my writing is I have to be attracted to the character. It's the character that, that, that drives the story for me, regardless of the era. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. And Jenny Jerome um, is a powerful character, as we will have seen from my introduction, even when we first meet her at the age of 12. What drew you to her story in particular? Well, I had seen years ago, I mean, I'm going to date myself. Um, as a boy, I had seen the Masterpiece Theater production with Lee Remick that was aired on television. I think it was on PBS, and um, it was based on a two-volume best-selling biography of Jenny that was huge at the time. It was a very big, big bestseller. And I'd always thought she was a fascinating character, you know, an American woman um, coming out of a, you know, a, a woman who came from wealth, marrying into the British aristocracy and giving birth to Winston Churchill, who became one of the most influential 
figures of the 20th century. So I always thought she'd make a great, a great story, a great novel to explore. And I actually um, had never written an American character before. All of the women I've written about, have, none of them have been an American woman. And with the sort of interest, the revived interest in the Gilded Age, um, sort of fueled by the popularity of Downton Abbey and sort of this renewed look at, at these young women that came across you know, the Atlantic to marry into the aristocracy and sort of shore it up with their money. Jenny just seemed like a perfect fit. Um, so when I proposed her, uh, I, I, you know, I can often propose characters to my publishers and, and they won't be interested. And so I'll have to come up with another one. But Jenny immediately drew interest. There seemed to be a lot of um, excitement around her. So she'd been in the back of my mind for, for many years as a, as a potential character to write. It's just the timing was right to do her now. And why did you start to start the book when she was 12? Um, because I, I often do this with my books, and, I, and I've gotten some flack from readers for it. I think for the first actress, one reader was like, oh, why are we spending so much time with them in their childhood? Partially what I want to do is I want to try to establish that many of our traits as adults, many of the traumas and the things we go through as adults are seated in our childhood. And it's how we're formed. And I felt like Jenny had a really interesting childhood. And, you know, she, she was in a, in a situation in New York where the Astors held control of sort of the ballrooms and, you know, money was strictly classified by your lineage and your family line. And Jenny's father was a speculator. He made his money on the stock market. He made his money with newspapers. He sort of made his big fortunes during the Civil War when a lot of men made money. So he wasn't considered old money. And so the family was somewhat ostracized by the, the Gilded Age lineages in New York. And it was a thorn in Jenny's mother's side her entire life that she couldn't get herself fully into society, fully accepted into society. And her decisions around that and the way Jenny's father conducted his business, he, he made and lost several fortunes over his lifetime. He was um, very ambitious, and, and he made a lot of money, but he was reckless, and he lost a lot of money, too. Both of these things really influenced Jenny's trajectory. It really influenced her life because they ended up leaving New York for Paris, and Paris became sort of like a finishing school for Jenny and her sisters. And so I felt that her, it was important to see her childhood first, to see where she was coming from in order to understand her decisions later in life. Jenny was really reckless with money. She was really famous for spending a lot of money, too. It all comes out of how she was raised, how she viewed money, how she viewed herself, how she viewed her position in society. We also find out early that she is a gifted pianist, as is her older sister, Clara, uh, Clarita, in the excerpt that I read. Um, what role does music play in Jenny's life? It was huge. She actually was an extraordinarily gifted pianist. She could have been a concert-level pianist. Now, that sounds today very, um, very grandiose, but we have to remember that this was an era where, where, where women were very circumcised by their circumstances, especially, well, all women, basically. I was going to say especially wealthy women, but actually they all were. But wealthy women had the opportunity, you know, to, they had to sort of excel in certain arenas. The, the whole thrust of this particular era, which is interesting to explore historically, is that 
a lot of these girls and women were trained that they were husband hunting. It was about making a really good marriage and sort of exalting your family line. And so um, the ability to converse in society, to dance, and to be musical were a huge asset because you could entertain. You know, there could be a salon and you could play the piano and they could invite over the mothers of all the eligible bachelors. And, and so um, Jenny just had extraordinary versatility on the piano and she went on to perform um, benefit concerts for various causes throughout her life. So music was a really big part of her life. She, she was very good at it, but it was never considered a career. I mean, no matter how talented she was, Nobody would have ever said, oh, you know, you should be a concert pianist because um, a woman on the stage in this era was, um, was not something that people aspired to. The first actress, I explore a lot of that about, which is really interesting now because when we think of how, you know, actors and actresses are sort of our biggest celebrities, but it, it all started out, they were, it was considered a very decollete way to make your living. So Jenny would never have been able to have been a concert pianist, but she certainly had the potential to be one, both her and her sister. Yes, things have really changed in that respect, um, probably because aristocracy doesn't mean anything now as it did compare, and even 100 years ago. Um, the relationship between her parents is complicated, as we would say these days. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, from what I found out from my research, it was um, originally a love match. Um, they were, um, Jer Leonard Jerome pursued um, Jenny's mother, was very interested in her. He hadn't made a lot of money yet. Um, she didn't come from a lot of money, so the marriage sort of worked. Um, but as things happen in life and in marriages, uh, he became... You know, he made several fortunes, and um, they began to live higher on, on the hill. And uh, Jenny's mother had some trauma from her childhood. There, there was some speculation that she had Native American blood in her family line. It, I, I never found anything to confirm it um, either way, but it was a rumor that ran through her family, and it, it deeply troubled her because this was an era where, you know, that wasn't something you took pride in. So she did everything she could to hide it. And it was sort of this thing that nagged her always in the back of her mind, but it was one of the reasons she wasn't being received by the Astors. I, I can't under, overestimate the, um, the level of influence that the Astors had at a particular period of time in, in New York. If you weren't accepted by the Astors, you just weren't accepted. And their ballroom was really famous for holding exactly 300. So if you were part of what they called the 300, you were on the outskirts of society. And um, Mrs. Jerome could never get herself into that circle. And her, her striving for that, her social climbing, her insistence, sort of obsession with that level of acceptance kind of drove a wedge in the marriage with Leonard Jerome, um, her husband, who really didn't care that much about that stuff. Um, he was a very good businessman. He could be reckless and fortune came and went really quickly then. But the marriage sort of soured because they had opposing goals in life. And he also was a playboy. He had several mistresses and um, he was open about it. And it was a time where um, the wife didn't make a fuss. So she sort of, he had one particular mistress who's in the book, Fanny Reynolds, 
who came and visited and would stay for a season. And, and you know, she was treated like a, a valued family guest and almost a member of the family by Leonard's wife. But all of that, you know, that churns underneath the surface and causes a lot of difficulty. But yeah, it was a very complicated marriage. There was certainly love, um, but very complicated. So in response to the problems afflicting uh, Jenny's father, not all of which were romantic, and his marriage, uh, his wife moves to Paris, as you mentioned, with their three daughters. Jenny does not fall in love with France right away. What is her objection to it? Well, she, you know, she was sort of forced to go to Paris. Um, she, she was a New Yorker. Um, she was born in Brooklyn. She, she had been raised in New York. She was, by all accounts, very close to her father, much closer to her father than to her mother, much more um, as, as, as her life would go on to demonstrate, Jenny had many of his traits, his personality traits. Her, she looked up to her father, she admired her father, and many of the ways that he behaved, she sort of incorporated into her life. So she resented the move to Paris because it meant leaving New York, and this wasn't a time where you could just hop a plane and get there and, you know, six hours from the East Coast or 10 hours from the West Coast. This was a boat ride of a couple of weeks. And so it was a major separation. And I think Jenny was probably also aware because she was old enough at the time that this was a rift between her parents that might not be repaired. And once they get to France, of course, she undergoes all the things that people undergo when they leave their country for a foreign country. You know, it was a completely new world for her. And she wasn't the focus of her mother's ambitions. Her older sister was. Um, there was a tradition in these families that the older sister married first, and the middle sister, then the youngest sister. So there was like, a, you know, a hierarchy as to who was going to marry first. So Mrs. Jerome's focus once they got to Paris was on Jenny's sister, Clarita, you know, getting her situated. So Jenny was kicking up her heels. And as we all know, that wasn't something she did very well, even as a young girl. Uh, even so, the family remains there until the Franco-Prussian War of 1871, which is where this novel overlaps uh, with the timing, but not the characters of the first actress. What is Jenny's life like by the time the war begins? What's, what's interesting about these characters, one of the reasons I like them so much, is they kind of turn the tables. You know, Mrs. Jerome, you know, had been this complacent wife who had been fighting for social acceptance in New York and sort of putting up with her husband's dowling. And then she sort of up and was like, uh, no, no more. Now, you know, she had impetuous for it. Leonard had gotten himself into a business scandal. So she seized that as the opportunity to move with her daughters to Paris. But then she ended up building a life for herself in Paris. Um, she did something that few women did. She, she separated for her, from her husband, moved to a new country, to a new city, and she built a life. She befriended the Empress Eugenie. She was accepted into Salon. She befriended members of the aristocracy. She was received, finally, received in a, you know, in a society that the way uh, New York uh, society looked at Paris, every, you, everybody mimicked or aped what happened in Paris. Paris was sort of the gold standard. And, and then it trickled down into New York society. So Mrs. Jerome sort of hit the apex there. So... Her life was going quite well, and um, there were always money problems because um, at that particular time and, you know, periodically throughout his life, Leonard was not in a good position financially, but she clearly lived well enough. 
And so Jenny's life was one of comfort. She had a tutor. Um, you know, she took her music lessons. I, there's a scene in the book where she entertains um, Napoleon's sister, one of the princesses. This is Mathilde. So she was being introduced into society in preparation for her debut, which was when you officially went to court and were introduced to the emperor and the empress. And sort of, you, it was a coming out. So it was a, it was a, a comfortable but restrictive life in that Jenny was, was being groomed to follow in the path that her older sister was taking. Um, and then the Franco-Prussian War kind of threw that all up in the air because Paris was sieged. And um, we tend to forget how terrible that siege was. And Mrs. Jerome had to flee with her daughters to England. So there, there was another uprooting of their existence. Right. Um, and in fact, they go to Fanny Ronald's house, um in London, and that's where, not at the house, but in London, Jenny meets Lord Randolph Churchill. So how does that happen, and what's her first impression of him? It happens by coincidences, as these things often do. She, um, our father had come to visit. Um, They were staying at Fanny Ronald's house. Fanny Ronald um, performed. Um, She was a singer. she performed in salons and in society, and, and so she often went for a season in London, and so this is where Mrs. Jerome and her daughters kind of found refuge. And they were sort of um, in limbo. There wasn't um, really any decision made right away as to whether they should return to New York. Um, Mrs. Jerome certainly didn't want to return to New York. She wanted to go back to Paris. She was insisted on going back to Paris, even though Paris was a mess at that point. And so Leonard came to visit, and um, agreements were made between Leonard and his wife that she would indeed return to Paris. But before they did, they were going to take a holiday. And it was on the coast, and it was a society event where um, the Prince of Wales always held a society. There was a regatta, and then he held a big ball on his big old yacht. And so um, Empress Eugenie of Paris had fled Paris, and was living in exile in England. It's, it's where she died, um, pretty impoverished and dependent on the, on the English monarchy for her living. She was going to be at this regatta. There was sort of this um, mourning going on in England over the situation in Paris because you know, they had overthrown the monarchy for, or well, what was basically a, an imperial monarchy for the last time. Monarchy never returned to France after the Franco-Prussian War. That was the end of it. And so uh, Leonard Jerome thought it would be a really good idea for the girls and the sister Rome to go to this regatta and, and attend this event, um, probably to soothe the way, because he knew that the daughters and his wife weren't coming back to New York, and he was settling into a bachelor life. And so they went to this regatta, and um, Jenny was late on her debut. She hadn't actually made her debut yet. She should have made it probably the year before, but because of all of the upheaval, it hadn't been arranged. And she happened to meet Lord Randolph Churchill at this event, at this regatta. And um, the research all confirms that they met, they spent the night dancing, and it was sort of love at first sight, especially on his end. He was instantly attracted to her and pursued her, pursued her quite avidly, in fact. Um, we... Um, Courtships were very common in this era, and, you know, they were chaperone and all the rest of it. 
But even by those standards, Jenny and Lord Randolph's uh, courtship was extremely fast. It was lightning. And they both were really interesting. So even though he was the son of a duke and uh, Jenny is an American heiress, uh, neither family is all that happy about their relationship. What, what do they object to? Well, Randolph had sort of lived a rather indolent life up to this point. He was the second son of the Duke, so his older brother was due to inherit, and his older brother was even more indolent than him. Um, the Marlborough, um, Spencer Estate, the Duke of Marlborough, um, was a very old one, a very um, renowned one in England, but like many um, arist- aristocratic houses at this point in history, a little down in the mouth financially. And so um, the family objected to Jenny's background, basically. Um, I'm sure that the Duke made his investigations and, you know, discovered what wasn't exactly secret knowledge, that Leonard Jerome made his money on the stock market, made his money with newspapers. He wasn't old money, in other words. He was a working man, which was definitely a, a demerit mark on Jenny's record. She didn't come from old money. Also, the money seemed to be a bit sporadic. So there were concerns about how they were going to be able to support themselves because um, these old aristocratic families, there wasn't enough money to go around. So if you had more than a couple sons, you know, son two and three kind of had to shift for themselves. There was a small um, pension that Randolph received from the estate, but not, it wasn't enough to raise a family on. So there was always these concerns in these houses, these old aristocratic houses, that you had to marry into money to bring an influx into the family where everyone could continue to live the life they were accustomed to living. I mean, God forbid we should economize, right? So that was some of the big strikes against Jenny, was that there was doubts about her lineage and there was doubts about exactly how much money her father really had. And on... um, Jenny's side of the pit, side of the picture, the objections to the family roused ire. Mrs. Jerome felt that it was insulting that they were even questioning these things. Her daughter had been educated in one of the best finishing schools in the world, which was Paris. They had been received at the imperial court in France. She sort of had a loftier opinion of who they were than old Irish, English aristocracy would have agreed. So they can't, kind of came to loggerheads over how to agree these marriages um, were underscored and underlaid by protracted negotiations, um, prenuptial settlements, um, marital settlements, who was going to get what if one spouse died before the other. There were all these negotiations that went on ahead. But you're talking about, you know, title in England and then their aristocratic fortune, um, however uh, scarce it might be. So um, Jenny and Randolph got caught up in this dragnet of these two families kind of quarreling over who was going to get what, how, and it kind of eventually reached a stalemate. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. 
Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. And they couldn't, they couldn't reach an agreement. Nonetheless, as we all know from history, uh, Jenny and Randolph do marry, and they have two sons, Jack and Winston, in quick succession. Um, how would you describe Jenny as a mother? Um, that's always a challenge in these books. Um, you know, nowadays, motherhood is, is you know, of course, it's, it's one of the most important roles um, that women undertake. And um, the raising of a child is extremely important. But we have to remember that in this era, especially in aristocratic houses, women, um, aristocratic mothers didn't raise their own children. They had them. It was often, you know, the heir and the spare. And they consigned them to staff. You had nannies. And, because the, the lady of the house was busy running the house. She was overseeing an estate. Um, and that, we... Um, we see this in movies nowadays, and we see it in Downton Abbey, and it all looks very, you know, bring out the silver, and, you know, we're having a banquet. It all looks rather easy, but in reality, it's a lot of work, and running these estates took up a lot of time and energy. So Jenny's example of motherhood was the one her mother-in-law presented, which was the children were confined to the nursery with their nanny until they were of age to be of use. And we also have to remember that the Victorian age isn't one that celebrates childhood. It's, it's one of my least favorite ages to, to write about in that it doesn't celebrate womanhood or childhood, despite the fact that Victoria was a reigning queen for, you know, longer than any other queen until our, the most recent one who passed away just recently. Um, but it was a really, the Victorian era was a huge setback for women and for children. And so childhood wasn't celebrated. Um, they, children weren't, children were to be quiet unless they were spoken to. Corporal, corporal punishment was pretty common. Um, so Jenny wasn't a great mom. Um, she wasn't present for much of her children's childhood. Partially the reason was, was that her mother-in-law insisted that the boys be raised at Blenheim in the countryside where she could keep an eye on him. And Jenny and Randolph lived in London because Randolph was pursuing a political career. So um, Jenny couldn't just come and go from Blenheim um, at a moment's notice. She also had to run her own household. She was sort of the backbone to Randolph's career. She was his wife. She was throwing gala. She was getting him into society. She was getting herself into society. So as these things go, she sort of, she faltered as a mother um, with her children when they were younger. Um, she made up for it later on in life, but, um, but it, that is how it is. She just, she just wasn't present. And she was very young at the time. And I don't think she, I don't think Jenny was one of these women who had this, you know, I've had a child, I, you know, that mother gene kicks in immediately. I think it was sort of, she had a child, but she also wanted to live her life. She wanted to do the things she was interested in doing and, and didn't want to prioritize the boys over her interests. It sounds 
talent, but um, it was something that she had been raised with herself and her family. It was something she had seen in Randolph's family. It was something that was seen all around her in society. It was sort of, uh, it would have been very rare for Jenny to have been a doting mother to her young son. Well, especially since she had to fight her mother-in-law, basically, in order to, to, to do that. Right. She had to fight her mother-in-law over basically every step of the thing. And, and she didn't have much, much weaponry to, to wield um, in that regard. I mean, uh, the Duchess sort of held the cards on all of that. And, and in a way, um, Winston, later on, when you, when you read Winston's memoirs and you read about what he says about his childhood, he speaks about his mother always fondly. But you do see as well that he, um, he spoke very fondly of his grandmother and of his, his upbringing. You know, um, he, he, he had a comfortable upbringing on a big estate with lots of countryside to run around in. And so sort of worked out for the best. And Jenny is a natural in society. Um, she's a gifted hostess, she's a bright light, and this brings her to the attention of the future Edward VII, who was then still Prince of Wales. What can you tell us about that relationship? I don't want to give away the book, but Edward um, VII, who was Prince of Wales for a long time, waiting for Mama Victoria to pass him the throne, was, was quite the player. He's very famous for um, his innumerable mistresses. Um, he was married to the sister of my lead character in the Romanov Empress, Alexandra, Princess Alexandra. And um, she was a long-suffering wife, put up with his, his playboy ways for many, many, many years. And he liked, uh, he liked the ladies. And um, Jenny was quite beautiful. Uh, she was strikingly beautiful. It was, it, she was at sort of at her prime. Um, she was a gifted hostess, as you said. She was maneuvering um, Randolph's career into a place of prominence. So uh, them meeting each other, uh, sparks flew. He, he's definitely interested in adding him to his collection. And uh, Jenny resisted for a while for uh, various reasons. But in the end, um, she took the path that, that many women would take, which was you couldn't refuse the Prince of Wales forever, and there were ancillary benefits attached, which was mainly political advancement. What's interesting, however, is that it was a relationship of equals. Um, Jenny went into it with eyes open, knowing exactly what she was doing, and there were no promises of forever after. There were no declarations of undying love. It was an arrangement. Um, a sexual arrangement that developed into a very deep friendship that lasted all of their lives. Um, she and Edward remained friends until the day he died. And so I find it fascinating because she was one of the few of his mistresses who, who reached that position where she was never, um, she never suffered the humiliation of being discarded or, or him getting tired of her because it, it, it wasn't, um, constant enough, and she made sure to keep an upper hand in that level. So she she held her own. 
So there are many, many other things we could talk about. Um, the relationship with Randolph, um, later events in her life, her developing relationship with her children. But as you say, we don't want to give too much away. So before we close, have I left anything out that you would like listeners to hear about? Other characters, plot points, settings, later incidents? Um, no, I mean, I just, I mean, I'm just really glad that readers have been responding to the book. I mean, some, I've, I've noticed that some people say, well, she, she didn't accomplish much of anything. And uh, Jenny, and, and I think that that, you know, we, we are now in a, we're now in a world where accomplishment is, is deemed crucial on, on every level for every person. Um, but I, I also think that when people say that they're not really looking at the full picture of Jenny's life, Jenny accomplished a great deal. She defied the social mores. Um, she went on to build a life after she was widowed from Randolph, which for a woman of that era was extraordinary. Widows usually were put on the shelf. Um, Jenny went on to live a very full life. She um, advised uh, Winston in his early career and, and, and was a great influence on him. In, in how he approached becoming a statesman. So I think when, when we look at Jenny's life, we have to look at it, its entirety and recognize that, yes, she had a lot of faults. Um, she was spendthrift, and she wasn't a great mom in, her, in the kids' early years, and she certainly didn't deny herself. She was indulgent. But she's also one of these really extraordinary characters to come out of this era where she sort of breaks all the molds. You know, she kind of does it her way. And that wasn't very common. So I was, she was a lot of fun to, to write with, and I'm hoping that readers really enjoy spending time with her. Yeah, I, I'm surprised people say that, actually. I thought for a society era, she, she accomplished a great deal in her life. Well, and there's the pearl clutching, you know, that, that she was sexually liberated in a time where um, she had a very interesting arrangement in her marriage with Randolph that that I found really interesting to write. And, and um, you know, we, we have these very regimented rules in society about marriage and how it should be. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's, there's a lot of fluidity in marriage and um, people have to reach their own arrangements for things to work. And I, Jenny and Randolph were sort of an example of that, of how to reach this arrangement where they loved each other and wanted to stay married. It's just there were certain things they couldn't get from the other. And they found a way to work around that. And I found that very mature and very 21st century, uh, rather interesting for, for a time when, you know, sexuality wasn't even discussed, much less negotiated. So um, Jenny kind of breaks the mold there, too, and that she was quite ahead of her time as far as how she viewed herself, um, her sexual being, and how she pursued that. You know, while she felt that she deserved fulfillment um, in that area of her life, but you know, people people will pearl will, will pearl clutch. <laughs> There's just no avoiding. <laughs> so this book came out a couple of months ago. Are you already working on something new? I am. Um, I'm working on something that I can't really talk about yet because I haven't. Um, it hasn't been officially announced. But yes, I'm working on something new. I'm going to a very different era. And I'm working with a very different kind of subset of characters. So it should be interesting. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us, Christopher. I really enjoyed it. Oh, great. Thank you for having me. Me too. I really had fun. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. 
And today I've been talking with C.W. Gortner about the American Adventurous. Find out more about him at cwgortner.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at New Books Network. You can find out more about me and my books at cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.